Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, the podcast where I interview guests and we talk about their personal connection to a soundtrack. Today we have a returning guest. He is our show's musical composer. He is also part of Rubber Spaniel and Percolator, both bands from Chicago. So welcome back to the show, Phil Bertolfo. Hi. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me again. So, Phil, today we are going to talk about the 1996 film Brain Candy, or should I call it Kids in the Hall Brain Candy. (laughs) There you go. So what connection do you have to this film? Oh, boy. Um, I, was, I was pretty excited when you asked me to, to, to do this episode because uh, the kids in the hall is a very, were, were a very big uh, thing for me growing up. They're very formative uh, for my sense of humor, I think. Um, when I was a kid, uh, my best friend, you know Justin. Um, he's a yeah. kind of guy. He's always been like ahead of the curve. When we were in, I think, third grade... He showed me the like, uh, I'm pinching your head, I'm pinching your head thing on like the playground before school, um, and that had to. I was like looking it up. That had to have been on like HBO late night. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I was at least aware of Kids in the Hall from that age. Like, I, I know they were on Comedy Central. I watched them a lot growing up, and by the time the movie came out, I was in uh, eighth. I was like just wrapping up eighth grade. Uh, and I was, you know, the show had finished. I had seen every season. I had seen, I think, everything that I could have possibly seen uh, through Comedy Central and later CBS because I didn't have HBO. By the time the movie came out, I was, I was like frothing at the mouth for it. I was like ready for that movie. <laughs> and at the same time, 1996, uh, I was like well on my way towards becoming kind of like a record collectory kind of person like a music obsessed person and uh in eighth grade i had i had managed to make some friends who were in high school and could like drive drive me around so i was able to get like records on the day they came out and i just i knew when the soundtrack was coming out i knew the soundtrack was coming out because it was it had pavement on it and it was on matador records and i was like very excited about matador records because i had just spent like the last year getting into pavement and the john spencer blues explosion so it was like my favorite comedy troupe and uh, my favorite record label and one of my favorite bands. And the soundtrack was coming out the same week as the movie. And to me, it was just like, this is the best week of everything. <laughs> and I've kind of forgot all this stuff. I kind of, you know, this movie is often written off as just like a, uh, it's like, you know, kind of critically panned or, or, you know, or just kind of a meh kind of a movie. Um, and, you know, I, it's hard to argue against that, but I don't know. I think at the time as a kid, I was just so already in that mindset that I was just bound to love it and watching it as an adult. I watched it like, uh, recently just before, uh, uh, this recording this, I kind of forgot how much of it I knew or how much of it is in like my bones. (laughs) 
I just think it's funny. I still think it's funny. A lot of people think it's very boring or just in poor taste, and they're probably right. But I was a kid when I saw it, and I thought it was hilarious then. And it still holds in my mind. I don't know. Yeah, I think they made the movie for their fans. I don't think it's a movie for like the general public. No, and they're not really for the general public anyway. Like you're either with them you're, or you're not, and a lot of people are not with them. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I felt like meeting people in high school and college, like if they knew who the kids in the hall were, like you had like some sort of like good baseline. Like I still like feel a, that way. As like an adult, if they like if someone kind of knows about kids in the hall, I'm like, "Yeah, you knew. You know." And if they're are like around our age, I'm like, oh, then you must have been a child also <laughs> when you were getting it. Like, how, how what are your first memories? Um, so like you, I didn't have HBO as a kid. And I actually didn't have cable until I was maybe like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember like it was part of... It was like part of the after school routine. You know, you'd turn on Comedy Central and there would probably be a Kids on the Hall episode on. And so I think I've seen all of them, but just kind of in like 15 minute segments. Mm. I was trying to find to see if I had the, the a DVD of Brain Candy. I don't know that I did, um, but I definitely bought it on VHS when it came out. Um, I also got the soundtrack the day it came out and was excited to see that inside of it, it had uh, in the liner notes, like a whole timeline of the kids in the hall. And it was like, I don't know, in the nineties, you couldn't really get information about things. You know, there weren't like a ton of interviews with them. There was no Wikipedia. And uh, I didn't know anything about any of I like the most I knew the most anyone knew about any of them beyond their names was that one of them was gay and I think that's it (laughs) like no one knew their lives no one that I knew knew anything about about them personally and then in the I think uh, I just knew they were Canadian yeah (laughs) yeah uh and I just assumed they all were in Toronto or that Toronto was the only thing in Canada (laughs) and then I get this timeline and it says that, like, you know, two of them meet in Calgary. And I'm like, what the hell is Calgary? <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, uh, so that was ex- very exciting for me that the soundtrack had this trove of information. It, like, talked about their early days before they had a TV show. Like, I didn't really know any of that. So I think, like, the week that that soundtrack came out was also the same week the movie came out. And I was just, like, so in it I like I was so excited like I finally had a recording because the soundtrack had even though I don't think it's in the movie the last track on the soundtrack is uh is uh the kids in the hall theme song um having an average weekend by shadowy men on a shadowy planet Mm -hmm. um so that was very exciting for me also it's like oh the band has a name like I know and that song has a name (laughs) um so that that was you know just like a piece of the puzzle that had always been missing Um, although it was probably in the credits and I just never noticed of the TV show. Right. Um, But we didn't have things like Wikipedia to kind of go back and find that stuff Um, out. But this was one of those soundtracks where I got it maybe only because Pavement was on it and I had just gotten into them the previous summer. And of course, because the kids in the hall, uh, were on it. And, uh, 
and it introduced me to a lot of music that I don't think I would have had any interest in or it would have taken me a while to come around to it. Because I think at that time I was kind of like distorted guitars or I don't give a shit. And a lot of the stuff on that record that I like is just like, there's like a Stereo Lab song that's very nice. <laughs> there's a Yola Tenga song that's like just so sweet. Um, and uh, and I remember listening to the soundtrack a bunch, the, the, the days between when it came out and when the movie came out and and really soaking it in and just kind of like wondering what's this what's this movie going to be <laughs> what are these songs going to be and the, and the songs in the movie they always come at i remember uh watching it in theater and being a little like taken out of it because it, the scenes that they were in were not scenes that i would have expected so as you mentioned earlier pavement is on the soundtrack pavement is one of those bands that you and i bonded over in college yeah, um, didn't we, we played Cut Your Hair at like a, a little show that you put together in a dorm, didn't we? That sounds we about that, right. We played it together, I think. I don't remember, We I, in the last episode I was on, we talked about how you like w- looked through my CDs and we were inst- we like instantly connected uh, th- through those. Pavement must have been there. Did you see anything in there that stood out i feel like i had i feel like my prized pavement possession at that point was probably p- the pacific trim ep you know i remember seeing some pavement because i remember pavement came up like right away yeah <laughs> i was like yeah, oh they're... you have john spencer blues explosion and pavement albums like let's be friends <laughs> so yeah you were like okay you like matador records <laughs> um how did you get into pavement I remember when I did finally get my hands on an, uh, um, a copy of Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, like, I was like, oh, I know Cut Your Hair and Gold Sounds, and I don't know if it's from, like, watching endless hours of 120 minutes on MTV. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to just say it was probably from 120 minutes. From 120 minutes? Um, I knew I heard Cut Your Hair on the radio whenever that was on the radio. I guess we were 12 when that was on the radio. But... um but I never pursued them beyond beyond that until much later. I remember for a birthday of mine, my sister took me to a record store in the valley called Moby Disc, um, which was, there were two of them. I think we went to the one in Woodland Hills. And she bought me, she said, like, you could pick two things. And I picked, uh, <laughs> I think it might have been the day it came out the like third stone temple pilots album uh songs from the vatican gift shop that one i picked that on um cd and then wowie zowie on vinyl because i just pavement was just this band i kept reading about or seeing the name in like interviews with sonic youth or like whatever like everywhere i was turning was this band called pavement and i was expecting like with a name like pavement I don't know. I got it in my head that they were like Pantera or something just because of the P and the A. <laughs> so I thought they would be this really hard. And Pavement sounds like a really blunt name. I just thought they would be this really aggressive band. I and actually had first... a really similar experience. Yeah, I think that I think I, I feel like that might be a common experience for people. You remember thinking like, what? This is pavement? I used to get Pavement and Helmet mixed up. <laughs> so I was like, is Pavement the grunge band? 
<laughs> and his helmet, like the artsy band. Like, I remember knowing Cut Your Hair well enough that when I heard Painted Soldiers, I was like, oh, yeah, this is like the pavement sound, even though it's a different <laughs> guy singing. <laughs> Just the woo-woos, the woo-woos. Yeah. 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 I think, I feel like a little bit like they were like, well, this is, this song has woos in it. This could be a soundtrack song. Yeah, like, I don't know the story if, like, they had to make it for the movie or if it was just some B-side laying around. Who knows? Who knows with them? Like, uh, it it seems like they amass songs. It seems like Pavement's process is they amass songs, or their process was, that they would amass songs. He would not really write solos or lyrics until it was go time. They would be, like, improvised largely. Um and they would just kind of edit together the good stuff. And then, uh, and then I don't know, they had, they always had a pile of stuff left over. Like Wowie's always 18 songs and they still had like 10 B sides, <laughs> you know, uh, Brighton, the corners, I think has the best B sides among the best B sides imaginable for like a band, an era I, the B sides I think are better than the album. And, uh, and I just feel like they were just like, eh, give them like they were, they were also on like the, uh, I shot Andy Warhol soundtrack at this time around this time. Um, they had stuff on like Matador was putting out like anniversary compilations. Um, they had like a lot of just stuff lying around. They've always had a lot of stuff lying around countless bbc sessions yeah i think their bbc sessions alone could have made like a better album than most bands best albums. <laughs> i remember uh that that i remember being impressed that you knew this very obscure uh bbc session where they improvised a song called like john spencer and neil haggerty in a blowout <laughs> Oh, that's a morning becomes eclectic session. Not a oh, that was a morning session. becomes eclectic. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, they did a morning becomes eclectic where like they just played like fifteen new songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, they just had stuff. They just had a bunch of stuff. When you got into Pavement, did you get into any other Matador bands at the t- same time? Yeah, I think it, Pavement and John Spencer Blues Explosion were the big ones. Um, pavement was eye opening for me. I I, I had. Uh, I, to me, uh, a lot of the stuff I got into in high school, it was all through Sonic Youth. Like everything kind of all roads sort of led to Sonic Youth, which I got into. I got into Sonic Youth because, well, I was a kid when Nirvana broke, when Nirvana was huge. And uh, and then when he killed himself and there was no more Nirvana, I did everything I could to just like find everything like bootlegs live recordings just like anything i could get my hands on and uh and i'd heard and read that they had gone on tour with this band sonic youth like the summer before uh nevermind came out and i uh heard that there was this um documentary of the tour 1991 the year punk broke and i went to go find it it was impossible to find in the united states but then that summer, like the summer of 94, 95, I was in Toronto uh, and I went to this huge music store um, that I think they showed the outside of in the movie Brain Candy. And I got 
1991, the year punk broke, specifically for Nirvana, because there's like a bunch of live Nirvana songs on there. But then I saw Sonic Youth, and Sonic Youth blew my mind. Like I saw the song, their performance of uh, Teenage Riot, like changed my whole. And then they did that tour. They did like '95. The 90, the '95 Lollapalooza was should have been like I should have gone to that. <laughs> I should have been in college <laughs> and going to that, and that would have been like. I would have that would have been like peak music for me because it was Sonic Youth, it was Pavement, and Beck were like the big things on the on the main stage. I think Beastie Boys were on there for a few shows on there, and then John Spencer Blues Explosion was on like the side stage a lot. Uh, so it was just like a bunch of bands that I later really really got into, and Pavement uh, for me uh, is huge. Yeah, they're huge for me as well, and I think because they were on the same label, it helped me get into, it helped me get into Guided by Voices and Yola Tango, who are both on the mm-hmm. soundtrack. And then I think this is, this is right before the uh, quote classic lineup, unquote of Guided by Voices broke up. Mm-hmm. And then, um, like my, it was weird. I think before Brain Candy came out, my sister. Um, made me a couple tapes, and it was Yola Tango, Electropura, it was Guided by Voices, Under the Bushes, Under the Stars, and it was Butter 08, which was a side project from for uh, Miho from uh, Chibamato. So it was mm-hmm. like this weird sort of like, I don't know, prem- <laughs> it was preview. like this like preview, preview of, of the of Brain the Candy soundtrack, <laughs> even though my sister didn't work for Matador Records. <laughs> That's funny. I I have the I have the Butter 08 uh uh album actually. Uh it's Russell Simmons is the drummer, right? It's Miho, Russell and like two other people. Yeah, and I think Russell even sings on that album. <laughs> yeah. Well, he like yells Degaba <laughs> at some point. Uh it, it <laughs> the bassist is Mike Mills, not from REM, but Mike Mills the the graphic designer Mike Mills. The graphic designer slash now filmmaker. Filmmaker. Oh, right. What did he do? Uh, he did Thumbsucker, and then I think he did... Um, it was an Annette Benning movie that just came out. Oh, it's going to bug me, but I think that film got nominated for an Oscar. Wow. Huh. But from Butter Away to Oscar Filmmaker, Mike <laughs> Mills. <laughs> In five easy steps. Um that album is pretty fun. That Butterweight album. Uh, it feels like they tossed it off in a weekend, and that's like, but it's not like just trash. It's just like a joyous romp. Yeah, it's a fun little album. It's super like New York. I feel like at the like it's a very yeah. New York album. Yeah, yeah. Like New York, mid nineties New York. Yeah, and I, I and that's what I really appreciate about Chibamato is they were this Asian-American. I don't even know if I would call them Asian-American, but these Asians in a band, but they didn't feel like an import, like the Boredoms. Right. You know, like they felt like an American band. And their music is just indefinable. It's just, it's, I mean, Birthday Cake is such a strange song, but then the video, I remember, um, uh, watching 120 minutes and then seeing the video for um, 
oh, what's that song? It's the video where it's uh, I think it's a Gondry video where it's a split screen. And sugar water. Sugar water. Yes, that video blew my damn mind, and I watched it in the middle of it, or not the middle of it, but I didn't see like the. I remember turning on the TV and not seeing the credits at the beginning of the video, and just being like, "What is this? What the hell is this weird video?" And then understanding in the middle of the video when like the when the switch happens, like thinking, is that what's going to happen? And then it happening and then just being amazed that what I thought was happening was going to happen and then seeing it play through. If you don't know this video, go see this video. It's pretty amazing. Sugar Water, Chibamato. I think it's a Michelle Gondry video, right? Yeah, it is a Gondry video. Yeah, it's, so you know it's amazing. Um, it's one of his best in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's made so many amazing videos. But then I remember at the end of it seeing that it was Chibomato. And I was like, what? That band that did that? Because it's a completely different sounding song than Birthday Cake. Birthday Cake is like almost a punk song. Not not to get like super deep and stuff. But like, you know, as an, as an Asian American to see two Asian people on screen on like a program, like 120 minutes, like that was like a big deal to me. Yeah, and to see them doing something that felt like cutting edge, you know, like, like oh, they're allowed, you're allowing Asians to innovate. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like it's like Japanese-influenced music. Yeah, it's just wholly itself. I, you know, like Birthday Cake, I get the same kind of vibe off of that song that I did off of like, uh, like, uh, what's that? What's that Neil Haggerty duo? Royal Trucks. Yeah, there's like a Royal Trucks thing going on, I think, sometimes. Like the best Royal, like when you think of like your favorite Royal Trucks, where it's just like, whoa, they're gross and they're in it. There's like a birthday cake has this kind of like, what is going on? She's screaming about this and her son is turning 30? What? <laughs> <laughs> and there's just this like really loud organ going off. Yeah, and then occasionally you'll hear this like this like a 1920s horn I, I kind of feel like the soundtrack for me was perfectly timed like I was moving from kind of kind of what it was on the radio to more of you know more of the indie scene so I was getting into like pavement guided by voices but like some of the bands that I liked or some of the artists that I liked that were on the radio or on the soundtrack too. So like Matthew Sweet is on the mm-hmm. soundtrack. Uh, he had this song on the radio called Sick of Myself that I really liked. I don't think I know that one. I know, didn't he have a song? Didn't he have a song at the beginning of the No Alternative soundtrack? Yeah, Super Deformed. Super Deformed. That's the only Matthew Sweet I really know. That's a good song. Yeah, and you know, he kind of bridged kind of like post grunge like you know he had loud crunchy guitars but like a whole lot of melody which i liked mm. kind of very big star i guess in a way oh i can see that um so you know he was on he's on the soundtrack and they might be giants are also on the soundtrack and <laughs> uh and i will all i have this weird memory of they might be giants that like no one seems to be able to verify but there's a <laughs> tiny tunes episode where they're like the whole episode is them making fun of like MTV VJs. Uh-huh. And then whenever they cut to a video, it's a they might be giant song. But it has <laughs> well, none of the Tiny Tunes characters. Didn't they do was in Istanbul 
in Tiny Toons, Istanbul, not Constantinople? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Istanbul, and then they did the Particle Man song. They did. Yeah, no, you're right. Oh, I'm, I, I, I'm certain that they did Istanbul. I feel like you're right about Particle Man because I can remember a friend of mine who loved Animaniacs in like junior high singing Particle Man a lot. So, I mean, he was also cool and he probably also had Flood, but it just seems like it seems correct that that was also an Animaniacs to me. Or Tiny Toons. Or t- Tiny Toons. Tiny Toons. Wait, Tiny Toons? Yeah, it was Tiny Toons. Are you sure it wasn't Animaniacs? It was Tiny Toons because I think it was like Babs Bunny being like an annoying MTV VJ. <laughs> maybe it was, maybe ah oh, weird, because I I I have a very vivid memory of Istanbul, not Constantinople, being oh wait maybe it was Tiny Toons and not Animaniacs. If you're our age and you know one, you know the other. <laughs> Uh, I feel like Tiny Toons was more for kids and Animaniacs was slightly more for adults. Or there were probably more adult jokes that they slipped in there than, than they slipped into Tiny Toons. So when they were on the Kids in the Hall Brain Candy soundtrack, my brain was like, oh yeah, because, you know, like, they're funny. <laughs> they are funny. Uh, my Probably my favorite They Might Be Giants moment of all time is they did this tour... A few years ago, it's probably like 12 years ago at this point, where they wrote a song for every venue <laughs> that they played. And uh, like them. you should look up their song for the Anaheim House of Blues. <laughs> it's, <laughs> oh, no. It's perfect. <laughs> so it's interesting. I was reading this book to kind of put my head in the right place for this episode. This book uh, that came out in the last couple of years. Uh, the Kids in the Hall, One Dumb Guy by uh, Paul Myers, which is a, I think it's a kind of an official biography. And like they mention in the, um, in Chappelle's Block Party, there's always like a weird connection between comedians and, and musicians. And the Kids in the Hall were no different. Went on their tour, when they went on their first like US tour, previously their live shows were just like, you know, small rooms in, in Toronto, maybe like maybe like a largest theater here and there in and around Canada. But after their first season at HBO and uh, Mark McKinney had won a Cable Ace Award, uh, they did a, a tour, just like a theater tour of the U.S. Just to just like drum up excitement for the next season. And it was the first time they were playing to like huge crowds uh, of people. And, and, and I've, I've heard of like, uh, I've heard the Monty Python had like similar experience. So they would go to these, these live shows they've done live shows before they did but they hadn't done it like before this is the first time they did it after television and they would go and the audiences would know like every word of every sketch and it would just be very strange so they'd like feel like rock stars they were treated like rock stars and then they would meet rock stars um they met kurt cobain on this tour they nirvana uh they went to i think like scott went to a nirvana show in toronto and then Kurt was very excited and invited him backstage and they became friends and uh, they met uh, people uh, in Vancouver, the odds. I've never heard of this band, the odds Canadian band, but they apparently were, they're also on the soundtrack. They work with that guy extensively. One of the guys from that band, he did this. He did a lot of the uh, soundtrack work for the movie 
and like wrote a lot of songs with them during that period and, and for stuff they did after. Um, and they just met all these people that they later collaborated uh, with like in the, in like the indie music world um, through touring, <laughs> which is like a thing a band does and not really a thing like comedy people do. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. And I believe Bruce became really good friends with Gord Downey, the late Gord Downey from the tragically hip. Who mm, also yeah. On the soundtrack. Yeah. They're also on the soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, the odds guy he put together the soundtrack and he said the tragically hip just gave him this like vast array of tracks that were like hey some of these don't have lyrics <laughs> and then he was like uh cool and he found one that that seemed to fit for the movie and was like can you sing uh in my opinion the drug is ready over this and the guy was like yeah i will <laughs> so he like got <laughs> he like got the you know the line from the movie in there yeah, it's it's uh, Stereo Lab was a big band for me too, um, and that I think the song on the their song in the soundtrack was the first I'd ever heard of them. I'd seen their name before, um, but didn't really know anything about them. And they're like really, really not distorted guitars in rock and roll. <laughs> and it was that right. was a big that was like a very big step for me. I think the reg the current record at that time was Dots and Loops, which is kind of their most um electronic ish kind of record um and uh and is one of my favorite records of all time and i wouldn't have i wouldn't have uh you know touched it if it weren't for the soundtrack i just think it's a great soundtrack and and a decent movie (laughs) that i really love (laughs) i feel like this movie in particular was uh weirdly informative for me as a as a as a young man um because it's around the same time um, I had a friend in junior high uh, named Scott who was also very obsessed with Kids in the Hall. And I think he had HBO and he, there was like an HBO, you know, there's like HBO first looks where they just like go behind the scenes of a movie for like half an hour. Um, there was a brain candy first look and I know I had a tape of it and I can't imagine anyone would have recorded that for me other than this, this dude, Scott, uh, so Scott, if you're listening, thank you, I think, for recording that. But I watched it so much because I was so excited about this movie. And it was just like a half hour of them um, just, you know, you see, have you ever seen one of those HBO first looks? They're nothing. There's just like, there's yeah. just, it's just a press. It's just like an EPK basically. Uh, right. But, uh, but as like a, you know, 14 year old, I was like, yes this is exactly what I was looking for. Uh, and then like between that and the soundtrack, I had like pieced together too much of the movie, <laughs> you know, like I knew some of the jokes. I was like waiting for them to happen. I had like effectively ruined a lot of the movie for myself <laughs> before it came <laughs> out. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I In that uh, HBO first look, they uh they mentioned that in the movie um mark mckinney's mark mckinney plays like the kind of the main villain kind of guy and uh named don rorator who's the head of the uh, pharmaceutical company and uh they mentioned in the first look that mark mckinney is basically just doing lauren michaels and i think as like a you know i as a kid i'd like heard his name or like you see him every now and then on SNL, but he doesn't really say anything. And it was the first 
time i kind i i you know you'd also see his name at the end uh of every episode of kids in the hall so it was like a name i was familiar with but didn't really like think about and it was the first time i'd thought about lorne michaels as like a human being <laughs> well like he's a guy <laughs> you know like who has a voice like you've seen him you see, you see him like in a suit on snl but they always cut to him as a joke you know he doesn't really ever say anything um but to hear that he had like this particular voice you know and then uh, it really made me kind of become aware that, like, oh, that's also the SNL guy. Weird. And then, like, shortly thereafter, not long after, didn't, like, Austin Powers come out in, like, 97 or something? Like, 97, Maybe 98-ish, like something? Yeah, like, end of the 90s, for sure. Late end of the 90s. But he's based as Dr. Evil is just Mike Myers as Lauren Michaels. So you have, like, two <laughs> two really good Canadian actors doing, like, pretty dead on <laughs> imitations of another Canadian actor. Uh, and, uh, and, it, and, and, uh, Ma- McKinney got there first and he did a great job. <laughs> and like, it was, uh, it was the first I'd ever seen that. So it, so that was like informative for me just to like, see that the world was connected in that way. The guy who wrote, basically wrote the movie, Norm Hiscock is a huge comedy writer in like across the American television landscape. Like he's written, I believe for the Simpsons, definitely for Saturday night live. Um, he was a big part of King of the Hill, big part of starting the office. And I believe he, he like moonlights all over the place. Uh, you know, like he's probably written episodes of like modern family or like, it wouldn't surprise me if he was on, writing episodes of like Brooklyn nine, nine. Um, he's just been all over the place and he got his start, uh, as, uh, one of the very first ever non kid kids in the hall writers. Like the first season they were just like, it's us or die. And then the second season they were like, Oh, we're going to die. If it's just us, we need to, we need to hire other writers. And he was one of three Norm Hiscock. And, uh, the, uh, uh, one of the other first two was Paul Bellini. I mean, I think brain candy is very forward thinking, you know, the fact that it's about basically a hyper Prozac. Um, it's still pretty topical now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they really saw what was happening and I think made an excellent commentary on it, but I think it kind of gets lost in um, just their particular brand of like Canadian humor. They won't directly comment on something. It'll just sort of be like a, it'll be a, an aside, you know, it's more about the atmosphere of the comedy than it is about anything like directly that they're saying about it, you know? Um, like, like Don Rorator isn't like an, a horrible evil man. Um, well, I guess he is. <laughs> At the end of the day, well, okay, so at the end of the movie, um, I'm just going to, I mean, I don't know, spoilers, spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm just it's, telling you the bottom of the movie. This is like, old. it's 25 years old. And this is like an impossible movie to find. The only way I could see it was like someone put it up on YouTube. <laughs> but like, it's not, you can't buy it. Like, you can buy a DVD of it for 40 bucks. So basically, you can't see this movie. <laughs> Earlier, we were talking about. Austin Powers and Brain Candy. And obviously there's the Lauren Michaels connection there. Um, there's also like a really strange Matthew Sweet connection. 
So Matthew mm-hmm. Sweet is on the Brain Candy soundtrack. I don't know if he wrote his song for the movie specifically, but um, at the end of Austin Powers, like Mike Myers in uh, as Austin Powers has like this kind of '60s pop rock band. I think it's called like Ming T or something. Oh, is it BBC One, BBC Two? Yeah. Is it that song? Yeah, and Matthew yeah. Sweet co-wrote that song with him. Oh, really? <laughs> is Matthew Sweet Canadian? I don't think so. Because Mike Myers yeah. has has like a Kids in the Hall connection. Um, they were all in Toronto at the same time. I think some of the Kids in the Hall were in Second City, and Mike Myers was in Second City. And it, I know that like there was a time where it felt like he could have become one of the kids in the hall. Like they had, they were all like kind of in and out of each other's comedy troops before like the core five kids in the hall were became the core five kids in the hall. But I think they were like a huge group that contained a lot of people called like the audience for a while. And I think he was one of them. Um, Oh, crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean the, 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 Canadian uh, comedy scene is just as uh, connected as the with each other as the American one is. They're either, I think, I, I don't know how it is now, but um, definitely at the time Toronto was the big hub um, and you would get these sort of like satellite uh, comedy hubs in uh, in these college towns like, like Calgary. And here it's like LA, Chicago, New York, you know, if there's a UCB or a Groundlings or a Second City, then that's where the communities are. And like, if you know one person, at one of them, um, they're going to be connected to like four other people that you will have heard of. I saw also in that book that the um, so the guy from the Odds wrote a lot of the the music that's in um, like a lot of the comedy music, and that the soundtrack album starts with this this like death not metal, this like kind of grungy um, song uh, called Some Days It's Dark. And I read in the book that Tool <laughs> covered that song, <laughs> was like known <laughs> to cover that song, which is which is That's pretty awesome. funny. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, Maynard is like mm-hmm. in, is like another one of those musicians who's like in with like comedy people. Because I know he was like on... I feel like he was on an episode or two of uh of uh Mr. Show. Um so yeah, I, I feel like Kids in the Hall just has that, that like indie rock cachet that like only certain comedy troops have for some like the state or like Monty Python. They had their big thing, um uh when they were doing the show was that was the Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet like play would play live. So in the Kids in the Hall uh, TV show, in between sketches, often there would just be these, you know, black and white, 16 millimeter, like nothing films that were just the kids themselves wandering around or doing weird things. And there was always like this kind of surfish music, surf rock, kind of like broody um, instrumental music um, by this band Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet. And they played, they would play at every live taping. <laughs> there would just be a live band there playing in between sketches. And so they really, the kids in the hall really had this sort of rock and roll like mindset in their live show. And, 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 and I thought they like brought that to the TV show. 
and um and that guy from the odds it was it was like his job it seems like to bring that to the movie um and matador records they just had he had quite a uh, quite a stable of talent to work with here yeah and clearly you know the guys running matador wanted to be part of this movie i'm sure you know cuz they only take up like four or five songs their artists only take up four or five songs of on yeah. the soundtrack so you would have to assume they were fans for them to outbid other labels to put out this soundtrack. Like, I feel like it's a, you know, cause not a lot of indie labels put out movie soundtracks. They usually don't have That's a That's true. For yeah. It. And you would think like this was a Paramount movie. So you would have think that they would have some sort of like a movie arm that they could have just put, you know, the soundtrack out on, but Paramount apparently like, you know, they didn't want to have anything to do with this movie cause it was so dark. And I think it was supposed to be something like, you know, it was supposed to have a wide release, but it got bumped down to like 400 theaters, something. It only made like a third of its budget back. It did, it, it did horribly. I felt really bad about it. I remember, you know, my, like whatever high school friends I could get to wrangle me into the movie theater with like my other middle school friend to see this movie. We went to the Cineplex Odeon at City Walk. We were like, it was like two high school kids and like two middle school kids. And I think only the middle school kids were very interested in seeing this movie. And there were not a lot of people in the theater. Uh, and I was very happy the whole day and after. Um, and I don't think it ever occurred to me until much later that like people maybe that this wasn't like a well-received movie <laughs> and like it didn't it didn't do well and like it kind of broke up the troop <laughs> like i didn't know any of this i was just like happy for the ride <laughs> i yeah i was like uh i think i remember my friends who took us were just like okay and i was like oh you loved it i just like couldn't accept that they didn't <laughs> love it i was like you but in real life they loved it <laughs> They're just playing cool right now. Uh, thanks, Phil, for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, check out Rubber Spaniel on Spotify. Percolator is also streaming on Spotify. You can find Phil on on Twitch. K e r s l z p Kerslzp, I guess is how you might pronounce that. It's gibberish, but that would be my handle. They can find Phil playing games. He's usually bumping some rubber spaniel tracks while he's playing. Mm -hmm. So check that out. And once again, thanks for coming on, Phil. Hopefully we'll find another movie to talk about soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again for having me, Ryan. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, soundtrackyourlife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.